in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them fucking suckers like the f***ing players. The Lakers are trading for Patrick Beverly. According to Adrian Wojnarowski, they're sending Talon Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson to the Utah Jazz. Beverly is 34 years old, so the Lakers continue to try to get older this offseason after being as old as possible last offseason. They've somehow topped themselves. Beverly woke up this morning. I woke up a Laker. Okay. (laughs) Very excited. So, I like this Russell Westbrook uh, story. This is this the is, interesting is part. Awesome. Obviously, the Lakers in trading Russell Westbrook has been an off-season topic that hasn't materialized. Beverly and Westbrook uh, don't think they like each other. Uh, Westbrook once said, Pat Bev, trick y'all, man. He's just running around doing nothing. Uh, Beverly, after that Westbrook comment, said he damaged my career. Coaching staffs, players, fans, they never looked at me, or they looked at me way different. And as of right now, they are teammates. And I hope they stay teammates. I hope this is the first question at media day. It'd be great. If you're the Lakers, can you really put out a team that has Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook on it? I hope they do. Well, I mean, they've been trying to trade Westbrook, and it hasn't happened. So maybe right. they maybe they have no choice. Maybe right. they'll be forced to. Right. So I am, I don't know. It's, it's a fascinating teammate dynamic now between Beverly and Westbrook. And if you're... Listen, if you're the Lakers and you find a way out of Westbrook, good offseason. No matter what else you did, good offseason. If you don't, then I have very little expectations for the Lakers next season. Silence. (laughs) A judge on The Masked Singer guessed Tom Brady. Oh, gosh, we're hoping this is true. So, all right. For those of you that don't know, Tom Brady missed, I think it was 11 days of Bucks training camp with for personal reasons, undisclosed personal reasons. A rumor that was just pure speculation was that Tom Brady went on The Masked Singer. Um, Tom Brady has said that's not true, that he did not go on The Masked Singer. However, TMZ has leaked footage of a future episode in which one of the judge judges, Ken Jong guesses that it's somebody in a hummingbird costume. (laughs) First, he guesses it's Peyton Manning. When he's told it's not Peyton Manning, he guesses it's Tom Brady. The clip cuts off before you find out if he's right or not with his Tom Brady guess. My initial reaction to this is that the mass singer has very good producers, whoever's deciding this, and intentionally leaked this footage to TMZ. Oh, so everybody would watch so it. So that there sure. would be more discussion about the mass singer. And I don't think it's Tom Brady. I don't think it is either, but I still hope it is. Oh, I think everyone hopes it is. Because if you're Tom Brady and you left and went on the mass singer and somebody figured it out and it became this big rumor and then you came back to practice, of course you would say, I wasn't on The mass Singer. That way, when they air the episode in October, oh my God, it's Tom Brady. <laughs> That'd be incredible. And he can save face by saying, hey, I signed an agreement. Right. I couldn't say anything. I'm sorry, right. but it was a you know, it was a non-disclosure, whatever it is, and I can't say anything. It'd be great. 
Because if he was like, oh, yeah, I went on The mass Singer, that ruins the point of the show. The point of the show is somebody sings in a weird costume, and then everybody tries to guess who it is. What if they start 0-3, and, and he went on The mass <laughs> Singer? And then he's on The mass Singer? And he's on The mass Singer. Oh, oh God. <laughs> then then exact, like it's going to turn into exactly what you think it is, where yes. first take will be like, uh, he needed to be focusing on yes. football. The guy with seven rings needed to have 11 more days of practice. <laughs> so the... First episode of the next season of The Masked Singer Days views September 21st. So a month from now, we'll be two uh, two weeks into the season at that point. Uh, so I hope Tom Brady is on an episode sometime in September or October. That'd be great. Uh, and and, and I, I understand the question. Chad Holmgren will not play this season. The Oklahoma City Thunder's first draft pick this year. Hurt his foot as a Liz Frank injury. He was playing in a pro-am game in Seattle uh, against LeBron James and hurt his foot and now will miss the entirety of this season. Uh, first off, I don't think this is terrible for Oklahoma City because they were not going to be contenders this year and this will likely help their pick be even better next season, which by the way, there's a better version of Chet Holmgren, Victor Webinyama, or however you say his last name, who is like a massively tall, long guy. Uh, he's probably going to be the first overall pick, yes. so they could get Chet 2.0. Yes. Um, also, maybe I shouldn't be, but I'm surprised at the amount of people on the internet that are like, well, he shouldn't have been playing in this pro-am game. Okay, it was sanctioned by the NBA and LeBron James was playing. Right, and it was basketball. Yeah, like, exactly. is he's Chet not Holmgren there. not going to play basketball right. the whole summer? Of course I mean, not. Is he playing pickup football and blows out his knee? Then, then you're like, maybe. Okay. Is he riding a motorcycle and breaking his wrist by crashing on it? Right. Then maybe. But he's literally playing the sport he's going to play in the regular season. And I think the biggest, well, the NBA sanction, it's the biggest point, but it was against LeBron James. Yeah. Like if LeBron James is like, all right, I'm going to play in this. Then, then you figure it's okay for you to play. Right. And again, he's playing basketball. There's nothing extravagant yeah. about a basketball no, player they, playing basketball. These guys play pickup all along with other pros. Right. They play you, pickup two, three times a week with other yeah. pros. Would have been playing if it wasn't in this pro in UCLA Seattle. playing pickup. Yeah. He would have been playing basketball somewhere because basketball players do. play basketball yeah. at the end of the day. So maybe I shouldn't be, but I've been a little surprised at the amount of just, again, just random people on Twitter that are complaining about Chet Holmgren and playing in this pro-am. It's like, oh, okay. Like he would have hurt. He might've heard it playing basketball by himself somewhere right. for all we know. That's crafty wording right there. I give you credit. <laughs> Arizona State's new hockey arena will be called Mullet Arena. It's being named after a donor family, Donald and Barbara Mullet. So that's where the name comes from. They're not just randomly honoring the hairstyle. But the best part of this is that the Arizona Coyotes are going to be playing in a 5,000-seat arena with Arizona State logos on the ice named mullet arena god this is great this is one of the, like the arena matches your haircut this is one of the like worst situations a sports team pro sports team has found themselves in, in the united states did you see where the ad gave pretty much credit to justin emerson what like, for real yeah. yeah his entire opening statement he mentioned justin emerson's name like six or seven times because justin emerson when he was at asu wrote a bunch of in, stories well, he walked into the office and said they had just won the club championship, which UNLV plays in. 
They said, why is there Division One hockey there? And the guy said, okay, well, how much are we talking? What does it cost? And Justin had done research. He goes, it's $30 million. It was, okay, well, we don't have that, but if you got, we got, we could get donors, hopefully, and you could match, you know, whatever the donors give. Justin writes the story, and very soon after, people are coming to ASU with money. <laughs> I, I'm completely honest. His wife tweeted the uh the inter or the it was a press conference yeah he, he opened up press conference saying he literally said you know however many years ago justin emerson who used to work for the paper walked into my office and said why isn't there division one hockey there so you're telling me one of the guys that's getting credit for arizona state oh, absolutely. having Division one hockey yes. is the same guy that asked this question wow, to sorry. mark stone um i got you thank you sorry sorry <laughs> Same guy. Love that. Same guy. What's yes. up, Justin? Yeah, I give Justin a lot of credit, man. He's, he's also now he got, managing a uh, campaign yeah. first. He got mentioned like six times. He's uh, not covering hockey anymore. Can we have him on the show tomorrow? Well, we do have open spots. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he can mention. He cannot. He cannot mention anything political. Right. I don't even right. know who. I don't even know who he's working for. But yeah, I just want to ask him how big his head is now after that we we brought him on all the time to make fun of him yeah after he asked dumb stuff or choked on his own tongue he did, apparently got a lot of credit for this that i didn't know he anything did. about he got a lot of credit so you know make up for all golf the times we dumped on him. for justin emerson what do you think pirates rookie o'neill cruz hit a ball 122 miles an hour yesterday for any of you that are unfamiliar with exit velocity in baseball, which they now track, it's great how hard the ball comes off the bat. Major League Baseball considers anything 95 miles an hour or faster to be a hard hit ball. Pretty much anytime you see 110, it's one of the hardest hit balls of the day, of the week, of the month. 122 is the highest exit velocity that has ever been recorded. In Major League Baseball. Now, they haven't been recording this forever, so it's not like you can compare it to something that Babe Ruth did. But it's the hardest that has ever been recorded. I, 122 miles an hour off the bat's ridiculous. And the best part, Ed, he only got a single out of it because he hit it say, so hard off the wall he I'm couldn't get to it. second. I'm watching it right here. It bounces right <laughs> to the right fielder, and he just throws it in. The kid's at first doing the, uh, the sign to his dugout. Yeah. Hardest hit ball in the history of baseball hits the wall, and he's only at first because it hit it too hard. And by the way, in the video, I can't see the baseball until the right fielder has it in right. his hand. Like you, like you can't see where the ball is. Just the camera whips somewhere, and you're like, okay. And then all of a sudden, the right fielder has well, it. Well, when the camera first whipped, it looked like it would be like 30 rows up into the, up right. Into the crowd. Right. And all of a sudden, it's well, off the wall. The camera guy probably heard it and went, okay, yes, that's exactly. a home run. <laughs> So the hardest ball hit ever recorded is a single, which, by the way, I learned yesterday that for the longest time, the hardest ball hit was a Giancarlo Stanton double play because he grounded right to a middle infielder and they turned a double play on like 117 mile okay. an hour ground out. It's one thing to play it off the wall or obviously home runs or home runs. Can you be a middle? Can you imagine a middle infielder and that coming at you at 117 miles an hour? Uh, no, they gave you they give you a glove and a hat to protect yourself. <laughs> I have seen multiple gloves break when the ball goes into the pocket this year, Jared. So I'm guessing I, 117. Oh. Hey, if you don't get in the pocket and it hits your hand, you're feeling that for a few innings. But if you don't, that'd break right through your pocket. 117 coming at you. Yeah, not fun. Yeah, great question. Yeah, again, great question. Rich Rodriguez.
That guy still coaches college football. Did you know that? This was a surprise to me when I saw this story. <laughs> I was like, he's a coach? He is coaching at Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State opens the season. Oh, his career's going well. This Saturday against Stephen F. Austin. Rich Rod has complained that Stephen F. Austin has been spying on Jacksonville State. He claims that Stephen F. Austin had people at their spring game watching them to try to steal their plates and steal their signals. And then he said that his daughter found somebody spying on one of their practices during fall camp. You know how you stop this? You only allow people to watch the warm-up, the stretching, <laughs> and the first few drills. Then you send them away and have them come back two hours later. Well, I stop all this. I nonsense. think this was. Remember the story that you've told us. I can't remember who it was for the San Diego Union Tribune that went in a parking garage to watch yes, San, yes, Diego yes. State San Diego football State. practice. San Diego State. I think it was one of those scenarios. Like it wasn't like somebody disguised as a media member showed up for media coverage. No, I think it was a peeping through a yes. fence post type of or from the, or from the third level garage. Right. So. That's phenomenal. And for some reason, Rich Rod's daughter is at practice. It's like, who's that guy? <laughs> Dad, do you know I, him? I hope it was disguised as a reporter. <laughs> well, It'd be a lot better than someone looking through a fence. Well, I think the problem is, is that there's, I'm guessing, there's not many media members covering the Jacksonville State yeah. football fall camp. Jim's right. our only beat writer. Who right. are you? Like, there might be one guy that shows up. Like, I mean, hell, UNLV is bigger than Jacksonville State. And what are there? Two or three people that are out there on a regular basis. Uh, Maybe a, there, there's a small uh, enough number that you recognize everybody. Yes. yes. So, Steve Colo Steve Cofield, Paloma, Mike Grimaldi. <laughs> uh, uh, Alex Wright from the uh, Review Journal. Sometimes Andy Yamashata. We're up to Review five Journal. and a half, Jared. Wait, the sun needs two people? From the Review Journal. Oh, okay. Next question. Now we'll go to break. <sighs> coming up next, we'll get into some Major League Baseball because I want to know if Ed thinks the Angels are coming to Vegas. And a fly ball to left. Yelich going back. And is gone. A home run. Someone else is doing The Dodgers hit parade has been relentless. It is 12 to 2. And that's it in the air to right, fairly deep. It sends back Kepler onto the warning track. See you later! Two-run home run to the opposite field for Trey Mancini. And the Astros lead it 5-1. to one. You're listening to the Press Box Summer Edition. Yeah, are the Dodgers ever going to lose again? When do they play the Mets next week? <laughs> they play Scherzer. Scherzer. Scherzer's on the on the bump next yeah, the week. The Yankees just beat Scherzer. It'll be fine. They got uh, like three four, four against runs. Miami. Uh, maybe they'll lose one or two. Then they go to the Mets for three. That's a sweep. That's a one and two. Nah, Dodgers sweep. You know no the Dodgers on the what is it? August twenty fifth. Their magic number's nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> On I'm August twenty fifth. To be honest, it seems a little high given the lead in the division is like eighteen <laughs> 19 games, and a half. nineteen and a half. <laughs> I feel like that magic number should be like two at this point. So you missed uh, the last couple of days of the show, but I did want to ask you about this. The Angels owner Artie Moreno said that he is exploring selling the team. Kind of gave like a farewell in this, so it yeah. very much seems like he is I don't selling think he's the exploring. team. Right? He pretty much said goodbye to everybody. Right. He's exploring finding somebody to pay him $2 billion. Um, 
We had John Von Tobel on the show yesterday, who's an Angels fan, and he was ecstatic, right? Like, this is as good a news as he, like, almost as good as making the playoffs for an Angels fan here with Artie Moreno. But the part I wanted to ask you, chances that the Angels could move to Vegas? I still say slim, but I, I'll tell you one thing. If, if you get the right owner, they might be better than the A's at this point. <laughs> so... There's there's two potential keys to the Angels here. One is going to be who is the new owner. Sure. If it's somebody that if we find out it's somebody who's like, oh, he's from Anaheim or from Southern California, yeah, he's probably, probably not keeping them where they're team, at, right? But if it's somebody else who's like, yeah, I don't have any connection to Anaheim, I don't care for what market we're in, then maybe. But the other part, and this is always the key when teams are relocating, we've seen this play out with teams using Vegas as leverage or actually coming here with the Raiders, is the stadium situation. Sure. And Angel Stadium, uh, A is old, was built in 1966. So you're talking about an old ballpark very easily could understand the new owner coming in being like, well, I need a new ballpark. I'm not right. having my new $2 billion right. asset play in this crap hole. Uh, the other part that's interesting is that the city of Anaheim currently owns Angel Stadium, and they had agreed to sell the stadium to Artie Moreno, the Angels owner, but that deal has been canceled because the FBI is investigating uh, the mayor of Anaheim um, for basically leaking documents from the city to Artie Moreno and all this stuff. So that deal was canceled, put away. Boy, Artie's into a lot of right. He's into a lot of things, isn't he? So uh, basically, mayor got in trouble, FBI investigation, city said, huh, maybe we shouldn't sell this to Artie Moreno. So the city still owns the stadium at this point. So that, to me, is the one potential opening for Vegas to get the Angels would be new owner comes in, wants a brand new stadium. There's complications because of a mayor or whatever the hell they're doing there that they can't get public money for a stadium in Anaheim. And so he turns and says, okay, where can I get public money from? Again, we've talked about this with the A's. I don't know how likely it is that anybody in Vegas, Clark County, State of Nevada is going to give public money to a uh, Major League Baseball team. But I think that is a possibility that the Angels would. That is how the possibility would work out that the Angels would consider or eventually move to Las Vegas. Okay. And I so will say depending on who buys the team, right? Depending on who the owner is, it's a very easy argument to say you'd rather have the Angels here than the A's here. Uh, of course, like because I think the owner would spend money. Right. If somebody's going to pay two billion dollars, I hope for the they Angels, turn around and spend money on players. Right. And if that's the case. Just as Las Vegans, we would much rather have the owner that's going to... Because that in baseball, that is the most important thing. Is your owner willing to spend right. money, right? The other, the second most important thing, and this is where the Angels have mostly failed, do you have people that will spend it in a smart manner, right? The Angels have spent money right. over the years. They've do just, you know what you're doing? Right. They've just done it horribly. But having an owner that is willing to spend money is the most important thing in baseball. And it doesn't have to be, hey, we're willing to outbid the Dodgers, right? We're willing to outbid the Mets with Steve Cohen now. But as long as you're willing to be, hey, we'll, we'll be top 10 in payroll, right? then you have a legitimate chance to have a good team year after year. Otherwise, the Rays are the big outliers who can do it without spending any money, but that's not very repeatable across baseball. 
Otherwise, most teams in Major League Baseball are kind of like, we're not going to spend much money when we hit on two or three prospects. Then we'll spend a little bit of money to try to make that team good. And then when it's time to pay people, we're not going to pay them and we're going to go back to being bad. So you want the owner that's willing to spend so that your team can be continually decent, right? It's hard to be continually like a World Series contender, but continually solid, you need an owner that's going to spend. So I would much rather have the Angels and the unknown new owner than whatever Dave Cobble and the A's would bring to Vegas. So does this mean, uh, I'm reading here, does this mean uh, you can trade Shoh- uh, Shohei Otani or are you waiting for the new owner to come? So John Von Tobel yesterday, our, our resident Angels fan, he he said that to him it meant Otani was gone. That Otani was move him. that they were, he was going to be traded and that that would be, you know, new ownership comes in and new ownership. It's basically a clean slate for them and they get assets from that. My question about it was, how long will this process take to sell the team? It's about over two billion dollars because the angel because Otani is a free agent after the 2024 season. So if this gets done in 12 months, right, that means the new owner takes over after next year's trade deadline and will he have missed the chance to have any influence on what happens to Shohei Otani? He could walk as a free agent in that scenario. If this takes longer than 12 months, Otani's gone already and the guys before the guys here, if it takes six or seven months, then new ownership usually takes a lot longer than right. New ownerships could be in place at the start of next season. And then they have the say in what happens to Otani. But that's the the timeline here is very interesting on what happens with Otani because you could have Artie Moreno. Okay. A trade of Otani, even before knowing who the new owner is and just say, absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to trade this guy away. Like we're going to get all these assets back. Like you said, or Artie Moreno could say, I'm going to sign this guy to a massive deal and then sell the team to whoever. So the timing there is very interesting on what happens with Otani because the new owner is essentially what's going to dictate if they try to keep Otani or not, right? The new owner is going to be the one. If it happens fast. Right. The new owner is the one that would come in and say, hey, I want to spend the money on Otani, most marketable player in the sport, and whatever else we're going to spend money on. Or the new owner might come in and say, this team sucks. Let's trade anything right. we can to get assets and be good in two years, three years, however long that rebuild process would take. But that's the interesting part. The other thing that uh, John brought up was like from Otani's perspective, he was like, oh, he's got to be gone, right? You, it's been a mess since you've been there. Now the owner's selling. Are you really going to stick around, sign a new deal with a new owner you don't really know? I mean, it's such a short trip up the 405. Oh, man. It's a short <laughs> trip up the 405. I don't know. Oh, Shohei Otani. He's going to wind up a Padre. You know that, right? Well, they're they're top five in in payroll now, so you might be right, actually, because that guy spends money. When they get to void Fernando Tatis' contract, yeah. they'll they'll spend it on Otani instead. Fernando Tatis, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Think he was sincere yesterday? Uh, no. No. <laughs> wow. I think he was. To- I think they had a discussion on this. Is what we're going to say. He so the interesting part on athlete apologies and Tatis said it yesterday. Basically, there's no one to blame but myself. I take responsibility or whatever. I said it after he got caught. Like, when is that going to be the first response from athletes? Occasionally, it is. Every like one in twenty. Oh, you mean guys. instead of it was ringworm? Right. Instead of it was ringworm or his dad being like, "Well, he got a haircut and got a skin infection and took this gel or paste, whatever the hell it was." 
Like, when is the first thing going to be? Yeah, I, it, this was my fault. I take responsibility. Uh, sure, it, it could have been that dumb pace thing, but the still, I take responsibility no, for... not many. Right. Not like, many. When is that going to be the default action? No. It's happened a couple of times. I can't think of names, but, like, there have been a oh, I mean, couple of people that have been like, oh, yeah, I, I did that. I'll take the suspension. But very rarely does that happen. I mean, you kind of also want to go with the Ryan Braun... No, it was the drug tester. <laughs> Coming up next, Darren Millard joins the show. Maroon is not just a color. This is the VGK Update with Darren Millsy Millard. Did you finally make it back from Montana? Uh, I am back. I stopped in Salt Lake City on the way home, and the world tour has now been completed. It's good to be in the same city as you three Maroons. Wow. Did you go to Boise? I did not get to Boise. I did Missoula and Salt Lake City. Okay. This guy. This is the nicest thing he's ever said to me. He's happy to be in the same city as me. Mm-hmm. Who is this guy? He's supposed to be mean to me. Well, I'm, I'm not never mean to you. I'm uh, I'm belittling and sarcastic, but yeah. I don't think I'm ever you, mean to you. you. You return the same energy that I give you, and I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. I, I enjoy enjoy our our banter. I'll I'll give you this open ended, uh, so you can't yell at me for uh, saying anything. What do you think about Phil Kessel signing with the Golden Knights? Uh, I have no influence on anything that happens with the organization, uh, but this was an availability of a player that I was watching with uh, with keen interest because of his. Uh, Abilities to put the puck in the net and generate offense and and do it uh, not uh, not in the traditional sense of the modern game, which is fly up the ice uh, with speed. And I knew that he he wanted to stay somewhat local or or in and around Arizona. Just had a child and uh, has made a ton of money over the course of his career. Obviously, has the uh, most consecutive games record uh, within reach and wants to play and, and establish that. And I, I just thought that there was a, there was a bargain there uh, to be had by somebody. And uh, I was hoping uh, behind the scenes that, uh, that the, the Vegas Golden Knights would, would be involved in this, and, and I'm really happy about it. It's, it's a million and a half dollars, guys, in the salary cap era for a guy that scored 20 goals 12 times. Uh, he was second on the Pittsburgh Penguins in uh, – uh, in points, so one year, uh, and uh, was was their leader in in points during a playoff, a Stanley Cup championship run. There's just a whole bunch to love uh, about Phil Kessel. There's the obvious like caveat uh, of, uh, of of the jokes that will will be about, made about uh, uh, different things about Phil, but uh, but uh, he's dealt with that his whole life. I, I think this is a really cool and uh, a low risk signing with a lot of potential. Well, you had everyone at uh, the uh, Ironman record because at least he won't get hurt. <laughs> he plays every game. He play, plays like that, that. That's the test to to last year's uh, debacle of of all the injuries is signing the guy that's going to be uh, the the uh, NHL's Ironman. I think it's pretty cool. Well, hold on. It does I'm I'm assuming McPhee and McCrimmon just have a list in their office of guys who have played the most consecutive games that are active, and they're trying to acquire all of them at the moment. <laughs> I I doubt that it gets uh, that analytical, but 
I think that uh, when you talk about a guy that can play in the power play, that uh, that can generate uh, offense just purely with his shot, uh, I, a guy who I think is going to be rejuvenated after playing the last couple of years, not in, in contention. Uh, I think that uh, that uh, that there's a lot of upside here. I think I think it's really a cool opportunity. I can't wait to see where he fits in too, because now you've got uh, three uh, really established right wingers that uh, all could uh, and have played on your top line before uh, in, in, in Stone and, uh, and uh, Riley Smith and, and uh, Phil Kessel. So I think that there's a lot of mixing and matching that could happen here. Well, let me ask you that on where he fits in. Do you, I, don't, I don't know this. How much has he played left wing? Has he done it at all? And are any of those three, would you move off the right side to put on the left side to make a better top line or better second line or whatever you want to do? But here's the thing: is is you're going to be if you put them over to the other side or any of them over to the other side, then you've got a decision to be made over there as well. So what what you've created in this is what we've had uh, in the last uh, couple of years, and and last year in the middle of the season there was a whoever is available uh, component to it. Uh, I'm not going to dis- discount that. But uh, when, when you put your organization in a position to have to make really difficult decisions uh, on putting uh, a player in a top six or the top line uh, or moving positions because you're going to have to bump another player out of there, that's a really good thing. And, and that's what, uh, what uh, Kelly McCrimmon and company have done here is, is put uh, the coaching staff in a position where they have to make a, a difficult decision between some really high-caliber athletes and, and offensive players. So uh, whether he plays right side or left side is, is still going to, is not going to alleviate uh, that situation. More and more, it seems like he might uh, break up the misfit line. You, you think so? That's what we're asking you, Darren. Would you? Would, so, you, bring, would I, you bring Marcia so up? So I, I, I misunderstood that question. Uh, I I leave them together. No, and and I, I've gone back and forth on this. Like there's there's a point uh, uh, at the end of year four, going into year five, where I thought, hey, you know, it might, might be time. Let's uh, let's take a look at that. Um, but uh, but I've gone back to in in, in seeing how uh, just that that they were like. Marshall was so outstanding last year, and 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 Riley was uh, was great down the stretch. And I thought uh, William Carlson really gained uh, steam. So uh, I, I'm back to leave them intact, and and maybe on your top line you have this is the way I had it before the Castle acquisition. I thought Chandler Stevenson would play on the left side uh, with with Stone and an Eichel. Uh, because he just adds that element of, of great speed with Eichel, who likes to, who has a tendency, really, despite being uh, quick, has a tendency to slow the game down because he can see uh, the game so well. Uh, I like the idea of Chandler Stevenson being uh, being up there, but uh, but now now it's uh, it's like all up for grabs uh, with uh, with what's happening with their with their top nine. Uh, but the misfit line, I just. There's, there's a comfort factor there uh, that, that I've grown to, uh, to embrace. So on Phil Kessel, he scored yep. eight goals last season. How many right. goals do you think he actually scores this season for the Golden Knights? Well, see, that's a, that's a tough question because 
Nick, Arizona didn't score at all. Uh, but his his point total, Tyler, would have put him third on the Golden Knights last year. And his assist numbers would have ranked second on the Golden Knights. So while uh, it, it's an obvious drop-off, he was single digits for the first time, uh, uh, I, I think uh, his point totals were really respectable. And when you look at his goal scoring total, like he's a couple of years removed from mid twenties. Uh, I, I think he can score 20. Uh, I, I really do. Uh, with, with, with the Vegas old nine. So uh, there's a lot that has to, to come together with that. And we'll see wh- where he plays. And then uh, they get the power play uh, clicking uh, that that'll certainly have an impact on his numbers, but uh, an engaged and uh, revitalized, and uh, playing with good players in a, in a, in a team that's going to make the playoffs. Uh, I see no reason why a guy who's going to be 35 at the start of training care or start of the season uh, can't be uh, can't be a 20 goal scorer again, or be knocking on the door. I, I, I don't think that that's a, a, a really long stretch uh, for Phil, Phil Kessel. Will you please have the press conference and speak on the half, behalf of the organization on Robin Leonard being out for the year? Please. Well, what's the uh, what's the mystery that uh, you're you're wondering about? You just want uh, when did uh, they know uh, his hip was hey, injured? Here's the thing. Yeah, when his hip was injured. If Derek Carr breaks his leg and nobody wants that, the GM is on a pre- in a press conference that day in front of everyone. By and he's there fast. He's he's like okay, star player. He's out. What are you, what are your questions? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. that happens. Well, I, I don't. Uh... I don't know that there's much mystery uh, around Robin Leonard. It's it's a hip injury that uh, that goaltenders uh, and, and I'm a little closer to the to the net mining uh, world uh, because of a couple of uh, projects that uh, that I do. Uh, so uh, so I'm uh, certainly more uh, comfortable in, in, in talking about this than, than some other areas. That uh, a goaltender of, of Robin's uh, timeline. Would have an issue with his hip it was was no real surprise for me. Uh, I was I, I would have liked to have known about it earlier, <laughs> certainly. So you could uh, you could uh, make some some other uh, adjustments if you if you if you indeed wanted to. And I don't even know whether they they would have, but uh, but it was no big surprise from to, to me. But but I understand what you're saying. Uh, I just it it didn't really. Uh, uh, flatten me uh, that there was any type of hip injury because he's had uh, hip injuries or ailments before uh, because it comes with the position. If they knew he was done for the year in May instead of August, would they have made a move for a different goalie before then? I don't know that, but I can tell you this. I would rather know in May. I would want to know in May uh, than, than in August. Uh, that uh, That is uh, is first uh, and right there at the top of my list but I don't I don't know whether they would have made uh, a decision on that I mean there's there's cap uh, access there to five million dollars if he's not going to play uh, the full year uh, so there's potential to be able to to go out and uh, and, and spend that money but uh, I don't know whether they they would have done it or they would have given uh, uh, LT and LB uh, and Michael Hutchison uh, a little bit of room to uh, to Grow with us. All right, uh, Darren. Next week, we're going to come up with a number of goals for Phil Kessel, and we're going to make a lunch bet on it. Okay. Okay. 
All right. Let's I, do it. Is, I, is, is Ed involved in this? Is it like a he's three-way shaking, bet? He's shaking his head. So. No, I don't want to be involved in that. <laughs> Ed doesn't want to go to lunch with you. <laughs> no, I do. The, the, you're the person I choose. You're the person I choose. Let the bet I, between you and uh, Bischoff uh, stand. Okay. Uh, what's what's uh, like? What do you think? An over under or well, we no, obviously, obviously, no, no. Yeah, it's going to be over under. You're obviously going to be the over here because you're over here. Ah, twenty goals. That's going to be easy. <laughs> I'm going to give you a week, let you come to your senses, and you come up with a more reasonable number next week, and then we'll have a lunch bet on it. <laughs> so why don't we go sixteen? Sixteen. You want to do that right now? Let's do it right now. All right. Uh, let's do. So what you don't, you don't you don't think he'll score sixteen? No, so yeah, no, not at all. Um, do, you, do you, what if he lands on sixteen? Should it be sixteen and a half? So we can't have a tie. Yeah, you got to oh. go sixteen and a half. Okay, all right. So seventeen or higher, I'll buy you lunch. Sixteen or lower, you buy me lunch. Thanks, Darren. You got it. And it, it can't be at a drive-through. Okay, yeah, we'll go somewhere that you have it, to go no inside. No drive-through window involved in the ordering in this. Yeah, that's fine. Go get yourself a pizza at a City National. <laughs> Yeah, go get, your, be, go get yourself a pie. It can't be some free pizza from <laughs> McKenzie River Pizza if I win, Darren. It's you got to pay for it. You got to take your wallet out if we if yeah. I win. Now I'm going to use the whole week for sure. <laughs> That'll be my research. All right, he's Darren Millard. Yeah. Uh, Thank Darren, you, buddy. We appreciate it. Thank you, bud. Oh, he's just gone. Just gone. All right, coming up next, a fun story from golf. They might actually be young. When you talk about name, image, and likeness, I haven't seen anybody on anything. We keep talking about these kids are making millions of dollars. What are they on? Where is the name, the image, and the likeness? Or is it just collectives just paying these kids to participate in this or that college? We don't have that. Again, we, we don't have those resources. Uh, we can't compete with that. So the little guy is pushed aside because now when it comes down to is this guy going to choose this college or that college, we can't compete with Anning up to make sure that kid is compensated like he wants to be compensated. And I want these kids to start by focusing on the NFL and not the NIL. Mm -hmm. Now you have kids not even thinking about um, the wonderful job that Coach Saban has done and the track record that he's accumulated, but you're in or the position coach or does this scheme fit him? They're thinking about NIL. So if the money fits, uh, I go there. And that's not the way to attack this thing because the NFL is what's going to sustain you and maintain you, not the NIL. Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. Who was that? That was Deion Sanders. Normally, I think Deion Sanders nails most things he talks about. I don't think he could be more wrong about that. That's why I asked who it was. He's really wrong about that. Like, if if a college is willing to pay you yeah. ten, fifty, hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars. Welcome to the cartel, Dion. This is how things work in college college athletics, especially college football. But his whole point about you should be focused on the NFL. Yeah. No, you should not. How many how many kids make the NFL? None. Very <laughs> few. And the ones that do, your average career yeah. is what, three years? If I'm NFL? a borderline NFL pick, but the sandwich shop in my town is gonna give me money to say because you know it's a small <laughs> town and it's a college football team and everyone loves the team. And someone's giving me money. Right. I'm not going to say, no, 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 I don't want that I'm because I'm gonna, I might NFL. make the NFL one right. day. There's such a small percentage of college football players make the NFL. And then an even smaller percent, he said the NFL will sustain you. An even smaller percent is sustained by the NFL. Guys retire after two or three years. Right. So I, I don't think he'd be more wrong. And by the way, he his initial point he was trying to make is, hey, the Alabamas of the world are not doing name, image, and likeness. They're simply just paying these kids. Well, the collectives are just paying these right. kids, 
which that's his main point. And I, I don't think he's entirely wrong on that point that it's supposed to be name, image, and likeness. And you just have groups that came together to write checks to kids. Right. But a, I don't find anything wrong with that. And B, he then goes off on this tangent about the NIL is not as good as the NFL. And I'm like, yeah, the NIL is probably the most money these kids are ever going to make. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, most of them. So that's what they should be focused on. Unless you're taking Saudi money, like if anyone offers you money, you take it. So on the Saudi money, uh, Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy are launching a new golf league. This is apparently in partnership with the PGA Tour. It's not going to start until 2024, but it's going to be like a futuristic version of of golf is what we're doing here. So you're going to have six teams of three. It's going to be a league. They're going to play for 15 weeks on Monday nights. And the way it's going to work is it's just going to be an 18-hour competition between two teams on Monday nights. And then I'm sure they'll have some sort of standings. It's America, so there'll probably be some sort of playoff at the end of this. Uh, and it looks like, based on the pictures, they're going to be in, a re- in an arena of some sort. I'm guessing like a basketball hockey-sized arena. And there's going to be a golf simulator. And you hit to the into the golf simulator. That'll show you where your ball lands. And then there will be a green setup that you actually hit the ball into the hole. So, you know, one shot, two shots, three shots into the simulator. Hey, you're on the so green. So once you get on the green, you putt. And now you putt for real into the hole. I actually think there's a chance this is this is fun. Like, this is a I, legitimately I, good thing. Because it's, it's going to be two hours, right? So it's not the, hey, here's a golf tournament that starts at 6 a.m. and ends at 5 p.m., that you need to pay attention to. So it's two hours. It fits on a weeknight, right? I actually think there's a legitimate chance this could be fun to watch and a like good thing for golf in terms of making it a more consumable product for fans. We get to watch Tiger a lot more. Yeah, he's going to be like how old and he's playing in this? He's 46 and he's the body's about 76. <laughs> so uh, that's true. I mean, he said obviously all the injuries and the crash and everything. So, but he's going to be involved in this and. Like Rory McIlroy says, you can at least watch him play now because you have no idea how many tournaments he has left in him. And he won't have to walk very far. That's, no, that's what I'm saying. He, he, won't he, have to walk. he doesn't have to walk. Have to walk. Uh, Which, by the way, just let him use golf carts in the PGA Tour. What are we doing here? Well, everybody or him? Everybody. I, I would even go as far as just say just him. Would that be fine, too? But just drive a damn golf cart. Yeah. Who you, cares? You, you treat everyone fairly, but not equally. <laughs> <laughs> my my other main question, though, is even though I think this sounds fun, and I'll probably watch some of it. I'll probably watch more of this than actual PGA Tour. This is not going to be an actual answer to the Live Tour. No. Oh, no. Like, the, like so. that's, the money. That's part of what this is, is the Live Tour is yes, taking Yes, if there's players. no Live Tour... tour I don't think there's any virtual tour with right. Rory and Tiger Woods. Even though they were like, oh, we've been working on this for years. Yeah, just yeah. coincidentally, you announced it after your little meeting with the PGA players being like, don't right. live, leave for the Saudi money. This is not going to pay players nearly as no. much as the Live Tour is. And that's the entire reason players are leaving the PGA Tour for the Live Tour is it's an insane amount of money compared to what their career earnings are. So this is not like it's an it's the PGA's answer, but it's also not really an answer. And then the other part of this that I find funny the PGA Tour is banning players on the Live Tour, being like, oh, you're playing in a competing tournament or whatever. But then the PGA Tour goes out well, and, it sanctions, this and, and actually, sanctions a separate yeah. tournament, a separate league that these yeah. guys are going to be playing in. Like, I get it. Everybody complains about the Saudi money. But from the PGA Tour perspective, this is pretty hypocritical. Like, you're okay with one league, but not the other? Like... That's ridiculous. But it always it all comes back to the Saudis. Right. But yeah. if you're the PGA Tour, you don't care where the money comes from. 
Why, like, as a consumer, you care where the money comes from, right? As a consumer, you're like, oh, I don't want to watch that because I don't like who represent or what it represents. But the PGA Tour is going to ban people because they don't like who their competition is. Yes. That's hypocritical. <laughs> right, but that's hypocritical. Yes. You're going to ban people because you don't like who your competition is and then go out and start your own league and be like, well, our money's all clean. Like, that's ridiculous from I a mean, league standpoint. I don't think the PGA murdered a journalist. Why does the PGA Tour get to say and who gets to play in their events based on where the money's coming from in the other events? Private entity. They've they never they have they, they've never banned people for playing in non-PGA Tour events, right? And now they take the moral high no, ground the on it? Tour? Why? Like as a consumer, sure. As the PGA Tour? 